This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Diane Whalen speaks about her epic journey in trying to hike across the longest trail in the world. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Diane to the stage. So at one point I wrote a little note to myself and it said, Diane Whelan plans to walk 15,000 miles from coast to coast to coast across Canada on the Great Trail when in fact Diane Whelan is walking across Canada. And you might ask yourself why. I too wondered about that. She says, we live in a culture where we don't like to feel uncomfortable. Where can I go to make my spirit and mind stronger? Where can I go to become emotionally stronger? Nature is a great place to do that. Diane. Hello, everybody. Good morning. It's great to be here. Ideas are like seeds. When you put them in fertile soil, they grow. Some seeds stay dormant for, oh, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And some seeds, as soon as you put them in the soil, they grow. But nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. I make adventure films, and I write books about those experiences. Two films ago, I made a film up in the high Arctic with the Inuit and the Army called This Land. And my last film was on Mount Everest, um, working with the Sherpas and climbers. Uh, All my films are journey films, but what makes them, and they're different journeys, but what makes them the same is that they are a fusion of traditional ecological knowledge and modern science and technology. Nobody survives in the Arctic, not even the army, with all this high-tech gear without traditional knowledge because at minus 80 degrees when you're up near the North Pole, all that equipment stops working. Same with, the Ar- same with Everest. Even with all this new Gore-Tex and all this high-tech gear, you still need the traditional knowledge of the Sherpas to make it to the top. In this shot right here, an Inuit is actually finding us drinking water on the frozen Arctic Ocean. They climb to the top of, a, of an iceberg and they look for the deep blue ice because that is what has had the salt leached out of it over hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's just an example of the traditional knowledge that was required in order for us to survive on these journeys. A couple of years ago, I, uh, when I came back from Everest, I was having um, 
I guess a crisis of faith of some sort, but not to a religion governed by man, but to that intangible thing we call the human spirit. The world stopped making sense to me. Ecological, I mean, there's no doubting the benefits of all this science and technology, but it's coming at a great cost, and at a cost of ecological destruction. We have fish with mercury in them, we have whales being found dead on beaches with like plastics and car parts in them. And for all of uh, the great things about our modern society, we also have this incredible rise of anxiety and depression. And so began the journey of 500 days in the wild. I, uh, I realized that maybe everything we need to know, we had forgotten. And so I had this idea for my next film that I would embark on the longest trail in the world and I would search for some of that lost wisdom. And um, the journey began three years ago. I'm currently right on the border of Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And um, I began walking along the longest trail in the world. And uh, it's 24,000 kilometers long. It connects three oceans. Uh, 7,000 kilometers of it is uh, water, that, uh, water trails that I paddle. And um, it's, for me, a very symbolic trail, not only because it crosses this great nation, but because it goes across our entire continent. And before we were a continent split into all these countries, the indigenous people of this land called it Turtle Island. So for me, walking this journey is a, is a fusion of these two things. It's honoring the ancestors of this land and looking for lost wisdom and trying to find a new story, maybe something that's a bit more inclusive. On the journey, there are many misadventures. This is one of them. <laughs> this is last winter when all of a sudden I woke up and the water became ice and I had to walk my canoe out of the forest for a few days. And there are many profound exchanges. On the trail, most of the time I'm by myself, but I'm helped in making the film by another filmmaker named Anne Verrill. She comes out and provides the logistics and helps me make my transitions from hiking, snowshoeing, and uh, paddling. When I left Newfoundland three years ago, on July 1st, 2015, I started uh, the first thousand kilometers followed an old rail line across uh, Newfoundland. And it wasn't a very pretty start. <laughs> I suppose if there was one card you could draw out of a tarot deck that most aptly described uh, me, it was The Fool. Um, I brought way too much gear. I went through five tents in like six weeks. <laughs> so I was very humbled. And my first lesson in the old way came in my last week in Newfoundland when I was invited by the Mi'kmaq woman um, to attend, oh, this is the tent going down, this is number two, I think, Geronimo. Um, <laughs> I was invited by the Mi'kmaq woman to come to a healing circle in a place called St. George, Newfoundland. Um, when I got there, uh, it was a church. And when I walked into the inside of the church, all the pews were gone, the altar was gone, and instead there was this big circle and uh, we all sat around the circle, and it dawned on me while I was sitting there, wow, there's a big difference. Like, I, I was raised Catholic, and I had to leave the church when I was 12 years old, because it was a bit of a challenge. Like, they kept telling me that women were made from the rib of a man, and I kind of already knew that I came from the womb of my, my mother, so it was a sort of an ideological friction there. But sitting in this church that day with these women in this circle, I realized the power of the shift from that triangle where there's someone up here talking to all of you to sitting in a circle when everybody has the same 
voice. You take turns talking in a circle, and everybody has the same power. As I sat there thinking about that, and I went back to the trail, I thought about something that Jimmy Carter said, and it was that uh, nine years ago, Jimmy Carter made the most painful decision in his life. It wasn't while he was president of the United States, it was when he decided to leave the Baptist church. And he wrote an article called, Losing My Religion for Equality. And uh, I'm just gonna read something from that in an old-fashioned way from a book that I've written in here, which is a quote from Jimmy Carter's uh, column. It says, losing my religion for equality. Women and girls have been discriminated against for too long in a twisted interpretation in the word of God. This view that women are somehow inferior to men is not restricted to one religion or belief. Women are prevented from playing a full and equal role in many faiths. Nor tragically does its influence stop at the walls of the church, mosque, synagogue, or temple. This discrimination unjustifiably inflicted to a higher authority has provided a reason or excuse for the deprivation of women's equal rights across the world for centuries. I realized that sitting in that circle and the Mi'kmaq woman had brought a big drum to the middle of the circle. And they started playing this drum. And I, uh, I said to them, I thought, well, I thought in Mi'kmaq culture, only the men were allowed to play the big drum. And these women said, it's the 21st century. It's time for a change. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. Yeah. So here we had this fusion. We had this fusion of this traditional knowledge of these Mi'kmaq women bringing back their spiritual power, and we have Jimmy Carter. And I thought, right on, because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this fusion of ideas. You know, when I'm in the Arctic and I'm, went, and I'm on Everest, it's not just one way. It's not just the traditional knowledge. It's the traditional knowledge and the modern science and technology working together to take people through a dangerous place to safety. And so that's really what I'm trying to find on this journey, are these places where these things come together. So lesson number one, time for the big drum. Coming up after the break. Waves are coming this way and waves are coming behind me and fear of death is in my throat and I can almost taste the blood in my mouth and I'm just, I'm so certain that it's an inevitability that I am gonna end up in this water. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Diane Whalen speak about her epic journey across the longest trail in the world. As I resume my journey, I finished Newfoundland, and then I got on the ferry and I crossed over to Cape Breton. When I reached Cape Breton, I had to walk a little ways to get to the shores of the Bredore Lake. The Bredore Lake is the largest inland sea in the world. Um, and uh, after I reached it, I was met with some Mi'kmaq friends and they had a small ceremony for me, gifted me a, a paddle, and off I went. It would take me 40 days to paddle the Bredore Lake. And on this particular scene, I'm on day 11, and I got in some serious trouble. It was the first moment on the journey where I actually uh, thought I might die. I woke up that morning, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and uh, I started paddling, there was a bit of an onshore wind, and at one point, psh, pushed me to shore. I got out, and I saw this ruby red rock 
embedded in this clay. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so amazing. I went over and I dug out this rock. And I'm, uh, I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I'm going to take it. I put it in my pocket. I'm going to take this rock. And just be, as I was doing it, I'm like, I should maybe, no, nah, I'm going to take this rock. Get back into the canoe. I start paddling. All of a sudden, the winds change. I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I got to get back to shore. These, the wind went from being an onshore wind to an offshore wind. Paddling, I'm paddling. Oh my God, I've lost control of the canoe. I can't make it to shore. I know the only thing I can do is point my bow and let that wind take me wherever the hell it's going to take me. And it's going to take me out into open water. And it did. And I've got, I use a kayak paddle and a canoe when I'm paddling. And I've got my paddle going. And like half the time my paddle's not even touching the water. And waves are coming this way and waves are coming behind me. And fear of death is in my throat. And I can almost taste the blood in my mouth. And I'm just, I'm so certain that it's an inevitability that I am going to end up in this water. And all I can think about is that red rock. And I shout into the wind and into the water. I'm like, I promise, I promise if I can get to shore, I'm, I'll give you back the rock. I would have reached into my pocket, but I just couldn't even let go of my paddle. Well, by some fate, miracle, who knows, I make it. I go across this big wide open passage and an hour later, the winds are blowing me at like 15K an hour. My normal speed's normally three. I mean, I was, I was booking, you know? And I reached the shore and I got that rock and I threw it back into that water and I said, ah, oh, thank you. And that's where that rock belonged, with the ancestors of this land, with the stories of this water. And in that moment, I learned my second lesson, which is a different definition of the concept of explorer. That as an explorer, I'm here to learn and listen, not take things, you know, as we did in the previously, right? Exploration was all about finding furs, finding minerals, finding resources. And I realized that here I was trying to do this take two on first contact, and I just made that same mistake. Road to hell, paved with good intentions, you know? So I... Uh, that's my second lesson. Greeting me on the shore was the grand chief of the Mi'kmaq people, Ben Silly Boy. I didn't know anyone was going to be there when I finished traveling. Canoeing, snowshoeing, hiking. <laughs> what I realized was um, that that's not the old way. One of the elders said to me, Deanne, the old way is not how you travel, it's what you carry in your heart. When we traveled, with every step in nature, we would say, the earth is sacred, the earth is sacred. The earth is sacred. And he said, if you do that, you will be safe on your journey. I do that. <laughs> I do that now, and it has totally changed my experience. Thought becomes deed. Deed becomes destiny. You walk with that. Instead of being upon the earth, you become with it. And I realized at that moment, too, that my journey was actually unintentionally being shaped by something I had begun at the very beginning of this journey. On this journey, I was out to pay my respects and to honor the ancestors of this land. And as a way of doing that, I thought that I would hold space and say prayers every morning for the murdered and missing Aboriginal women. What I didn't realize was that this was this very private act every morning that I would do on the trail would shape my journey. I did not leave knowing that I was going to meet Grand Chief Ben Silly Boy, and I've since spent time with the Ojibwe, the Cree, the Algonquin, the Anishinaabe, the Mohawk, Lakota, Dakota people. And when he told me that the way that the old way was about what we carried in our heart, I realized that quite by accident, in doing this, that I had brought this shape to my journey.
A few days later, I embarked and I left and I resumed my journey across uh, uh, Nova Scotia. And it was about November when I woke up one morning to find the first ice of the seasons changing and a big storm came. I had been in the woods for a couple of days. I hadn't seen anyone. I was in this big storm and all these trees were blowing around. The rain was coming down and I got lost. I didn't know where I was. My cell phone was dead. I pulled out my paper map, which turned to pulp in this pouring rain. And I was like, oh yeah, I should have laminated that. Didn't laminate the map. Now the map is gone. Anyway, off in the distance, right? Off in the distance, I see this, uh, this, this little side-by-side car. And I should have been really happy, right? Like, oh, thank God, there's somebody coming. But I wasn't. I was terrified because I was already afraid. So up comes this cart. And in it are these two guys, hunters. They're full camo. They got their guns. They got their rum. They got their cigars. And I'm like, this is a woman's worst nightmare, okay? (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. I'm going to die, but something more, even more horrible is going to happen before that even happens. And they come up to me and they go, come on, you got to get in our car. Leave all your stuff here. I'm like, oh, woo, 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 woo. (laughs) Anyway. I, uh, I eventually have to go with them. I have to trust them. And they take me back to their hunter's cabin where there's 1950s porn on the wall everywhere. <laughs> woo, 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 woo. But they ended up making a big fire, feeding me uh, deer meat. And uh, by the end of the night, I was smoking a cigar. And the next day, they took me back to the trail. And I realized in that moment that, um, that when we look at the world from a perspective of fear, then all we see is everything that comes at us is from that place. And that, you know, part of the problem is that right now, yeah, all the media does, it fills us with that fear. What I am saying and how does it relate to AI and robotics and everything else that we're discussing here, it relates because all of these technologies will constantly bombard us and come at us. But the ultimate outcome will be determined by what we carry in our hearts. And with that, I'm going to read you one last quote, which is this. It's an Ursula Quinn quote, and I end it here, and I'm sorry I'm a few seconds late, but it's worth worrying for. (laughs) Our roots are in the dark. The earth is our country. Why did we look up for blessing instead of around and down? What hope we have lies there. Not in the sky full of orbiting spy eyes and weaponry, but in the earth we have looked down upon. Not from above, but from below. Not in the light that blinds, but in the dark that nourishes, where human beings grow human souls. Thank you very much. I I know quite a few filmmakers. Yeah. They have fine minds and interesting philosophies and sense of aesthetics and so on. Yeah. But a lot of them are seriously out of shape. Yeah. Did you have any kind of history as a jock, as a competitor? No, I'm the antithesis of the amazing race. Uh, I'm the opposite of the amazing race. Um, I, um, I'm an artist seeking understanding. I'm not out there to prove how strong I am um, or how fast I can be. Um, I'm seeking understanding. So but, I'm the but, turtle, not the hare. But you took on mm-hmm. an enormous physical challenge, mm-hmm. right? Well, you know, we're not really defined by what we want. We're defined by what we're willing to suffer for. And my spirit was broken, and I was willing to suffer for that. Thanks for listening. 
to Idea City on the air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.